There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where they want, where they from, why they here. This is a priority. Our priority today are minutes 36 to 40, which begin with a bunch of soldiers looking at a map. One of which might just be a map of Montreal where they've been filming and none of which are identified well even in the Blu-ray copy of the film. And so we got Halpern talking to the lead scientist from Australia, who we've seen once before. Halpern says, we're up in 15, you got any new intel? Australia says, yeah, we've been playing back some of their sounds. Where does that get you? Well, they play audio back at us from an unseen source. Halpern looks a little upset by this and says, audio of what? Says, it's bits of conversations from the room. Which, briefly, I had a weird joke in my head about being from the movie The Room, which would be really fun if aliens communicate with that. <laughs> and they're just like, hi, Mark. <laughs> like, well, we walk in and they say, oh, hi, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Random clips of dialogue. Really, we, we have nothing. And so then we cut to outside, and this is a visual mistake in the film, because we were told last segment the next time they were going in was 0200, which is 2 a.m. Since this is where they're filming in Saint-Fabien, Quebec, this angle is south-southwest, which means this is just after sunset, because there's still sunlight off to the right through the clouds. It is not 1.45 in the morning. And then we get Condor's voice as T-minus 14 minutes to shell access, T-minus 14 minutes to shell access, and we cut to the room where they're supposed to be suiting up, but Louise is just sitting on a bench, a couple other people leaving. There's a really nice silhouette here because the glove of her suit is hanging off the bench. So we get another of the image of hands that we got last time. Yeah, and it's also focusing on her hands themselves, her clenching and unclenching yeah, when it, when her hands. Yeah, when it goes to the close-up, yeah. Her hands are shaking, she clenches them. She's she's nervous because she, we don't know exactly how bad it went, but we know the, the first session went badly. A noise interrupts, and she looks up and to her right, and we get a reverse as one of the tech guys walks past her, and she sees a whiteboard. That is the labels for the oxygen tank stalls saying that uh, numbers one through six are all full. Yeah, whiteboard's one of the themes for today. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so we'll talk about that a, l- a little bit more. But what do you, is there a purpose for having the whiteboard with that information and her looking at that information specifically? Or I don't think the information is that important. In the script, she doesn't find it here. In that first session, because we do, it goes straight into what we see in the second session. She wants something to write on when she's saying human the first time, and she digs through the crates that they have and finds a whiteboard. Oh. And so this is both slightly more passive, but it's also visually more interesting. That yeah. It's just there, and she takes it. So then we, we cut to her exiting the tent, and she's carrying that whiteboard. And we get a new announcement over the speaker. T-minus nine minutes to shell access. T-minus nine minutes to shell access. So we've jumped five minutes. And Weber's out there. He says, what's that for? We cut to Weber from behind her. So we're behind Louise again. And now it is very dark outside. So they got the timing right for this scene. And Louise says it's a visual aid. And then she explains, look, I'm never going to be able to speak their words if they are talking, but they might have some sort of written language or basis for visual communication. It's worth noting here that in the original story, she actually does try to emulate their sounds, possibly to their amusement. She makes a joke about trying to figure out if they're saying, look at the cute thing it's trying, when they Mm -hmm. respond to her. But Gary is impressed that she can even make the noises, and she says, you should hear my moose call, sends them running. (laughs) 
So is it a movie thing where it's easier to jump to visual cues, right? Although you could have scenes with that that would be fun. I think it's because in a movie, this they wanted the sounds to be more scary. Because the the way they're described in the story is like flutters. We hear a couple noises like them. Yeah. Where they're very soft and really hard to tell apart. In the movie, we can still think these aliens are not nice. So just tonally to provide more. (laughs) And she's not going to reproduce some of these sounds they're making. Yeah. She could try. I mean, there's some there's some humans like that study primates, primatologists mm. that can do really good like ape noises and chimp noises because they're used to studying that. I might be really overthinking this here, but it made me think about the evolution of mass media and just communication in general. How we start started with verbal utterances and then transition to written communication and brought me over to also thinking about just visual aids and visual communication, our comm theory aspect for today, which is semiotics, one of the seven traditions of communication. The theory of it is that meanings don't reside in words and symbols, meanings reside in people. So ideas and information that can be seen. So signs, typography, drawing, graphic design, advertising, PR, and most current example I could think of of the impact of visual communication is Katie Porter. Mm. If you've seen her whiteboard, (laughs) Katie Porter's whiteboard has its own Twitter account that has thousands (laughs) of followers. (laughs) And Katie Porter herself has earned quite a large following because of her bringing her whiteboard into congressional hearings and breaking down lectures in (laughs) simple ways. So one of the things that she did was break down the increase in price of pharmaceuticals in a simplistic way that allowed the audience or the American people to just be able to understand what's going on. If you're interested in learning more about semiotics, recommend the short film Logorama. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much you remember about that film, but I like to discuss it in my Orcom classes because it really makes students think just about how much advertising, like how much you see on a daily basis that's mm-hmm. influencing you from like... Yeah, because the whole film is just made up of logos. Yeah. <laughs> I think the whiteboard is nice here also because it's a simplifying visual for the audience of how hard this is going to be. She can't just talk to them. Yeah. She has to, as we're seeing in this segment in the, in the next, she has to be able to teach them specific words and get them to understand it. And fortunately they came here, so they're going to make the effort also. Mm -hmm. It takes babies who are primed to learn language approximately four to five years to learn 30,000 words, and that's with people talking to them. Hopefully, if it's like a healthy baby in a yeah, healthy people situation, are to them all the time. people are talking to them all the time, and they're also subjected to just, you know, hearing TVs or car radios yeah. or words and language. Later in the film, it is implied that the 12 different alien ships might be sharing information, so they're also working together mm-hmm. with multiple countries, but then that means they're learning multiple languages at the same time. But it might help. Yeah, depending on which how then comes up later about how languages are best learned. Yeah. It's not necessarily a problem to learn multiple languages at once. Well, there's but... also a problematic <laughs> element to this in that the aliens should already speak English. Why? Because they will learn it later. Oh, right, right, right. So they should already know when she says yeah. human, they're like, oh, it's that part where she says human over and yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> ha ha. 
Maybe one of maybe that's why one of them leaves first is he just gets bored. He's like, "Oh, we got to go through this whole thing in real time." Yeah. I already remember all this. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> That's true. Weber says, "Okay, let's get started." And Louise says, "Human. Human. I'm human. What are you?" Human, that's the first word that she writes on her whiteboard and it's kind of interesting symbolically. It's like she's approaching the unknown. She's afraid to approach them. We see. Well, and she does literally approach them. It's yeah, exactly. We when at first they don't react at all, she steps forward away from everybody else. And she's approaching the unknown with humanity. She's facing her fear there in the hallway. And when she approaches and holds up the board, she's identifying herself in mm -hmm. that word. Yeah, human, human. I'm human. What are you? She moves forward. She goes up in front of the canary, and she's still quite a bit away from that glass. They position their meeting really far away. And this is where my notes get a little confusing for me because I labeled the aliens ahead of time as yeah. Abbott and Costello. And I assume that they name them Abbott and Costello because one of them is slightly thinner than the other. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's the one that is Abbott, as it should be. Yeah. I'm not sure which is which yet. So my notes are Abbott and Costello crossed out each time. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Did they just want a more American reference for yeah, the audience? The, what are the names in the story? They call them something else. Two names. Shoot, I'm forgetting. But they're not two names that I recognized as going together. Pause for quick research. It was Raspberry and Flapper, which I realize now aren't a pair of names that go together. Yeah, they're a pair of sounds. Yeah, I remember that the names didn't go together, but just because of the ah and the p no. sound, they go together? Because raspberry is a noise you can make, you know? Oh my gosh. And then and flapper, probably the other one is makes more... Oh, that's funny. I never thought about that. I though. didn't until yeah. just now, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Because I'm like, I saw raspberry in the story, I'm like, what goes with raspberry? And I scroll yeah. through, scrolling through, and see flapper. I'm like, no, those don't get together. I get it. The noises, the movie, yeah, they named so it So apparently we, the American audience, weren't smart enough to understand that. <laughs> so they had to go with <laughs> Abbott and Costello. Yeah. Abbott and Costello are also known for physical comedy. Oh, and verbal so, comedy. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. With like, who's on first, you know, the back and forth of sharing each other's mm -hmm. sentences and saying things together, which this Abbott and Costello also can do. Yeah. So you have something recognizable. You have the verbal and physical elements. So wouldn't necessarily even be about something as mundane as weight at all. <laughs> no, but I, because they named him Abbott and Costello, that even the behind the scenes, the film would have made one slightly fatter. Mm -hmm. And the one on the right looks slightly wider. Hmm. And so I was calling that one Costello in my notes. And no. <laughs> depending on what he says later in this segment, he's not Costello. The script is interesting here because it makes a weird mistake. It says the aliens turn their heads to glance at one another, then back at Louise. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of the design of the aliens in the original story is that they don't have fronts and backs. Yeah. They're described as a barrel suspended at the intersection of seven limbs. Radially symmetrical, and any of its limbs could serve as an arm or a leg. Right, so there'd be no need to turn. They don't turn. And in the story, I remember one comes into the room, pauses, and leaves, and she comments on the fact that it didn't mm. turn around. Yeah. And like the script screwed that up for a second here. Hmm. And the film also doesn't... They have a front. This whole time they're there, their, their body is leaning back away from the glass a little bit, and we'll see later, their mm. body goes up higher and yeah. has a clear front to it. And I'm not sure if you can see any eyes. They're supposed to have eyes all the way around. Yeah, I can't recall. Which would have been an interesting visual because it seems uh, biblical. With like the angels with the eyes all over their wings and everything in Book of Revelation. That would have been nice. Yeah. 
in this original, they're basically just a torso between seven limbs with seven eyes around the top. So they can go any direction. When we cut to the dials behind Louise that are measuring sound, they let us know that in the film, in case we're idiots, because the canary makes noise and the lights move. But the dials barely move because the canary's not that loud. Yeah. They're letting us know what these dials do because they're going to use them as a visual cue later. She says human again, and we get a close-up on her as the aliens start to make noise. And we cut to Louise's POV from inside the plastic. We can hear her breathing again. She's still good distance back from the glass. And in my notes, I say Abbott leaves, followed by Costello. The alien on the left leaves first. And then we get an interesting shot of Louise angled from above. But there's nothing above to look down on her, so it's a weird choice in this moment. As she looks back at the men behind her, we get a shot of Weber. We get a shot from behind Louise on this blank glass now, because there's no aliens there. And we get a close-up on the canary as it's kind of freaking yeah. out. And I love this moment because it's like, oh, are the aliens going to poison them now? It's over? And I'm like, we're only half an hour into the movie. They're not going to poison them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't worried about... But it seems like that they're, them, what's they're going but, for is like, the canary's they, freaking out. Something's wrong. Yeah, but they are definitely letting the audience... Well, just keeping them tense. Yeah. Not knowing what's going to happen next. And then we get a shot of Marks reaching for the camera like he's going to turn it off. Which I thought was really silly. Like, oh, the aliens left. I'm going to stop recording. They're going to be in here for another hour. Yeah. The door's not open. <laughs> like, leave that <laughs> thing on. <laughs> and then we get a close-up on the dials again as the lights go up. The dials turn. And we get a shot of Ian when there's really loud sounds as Costello comes back. The alien on the right comes back. I feel back. like we skipped a lot. We skipped some of uh, Louise when she was walking up. Well, no. I feel like we didn't even talk about the aliens... Showing their first words. They didn't do that yet. They leave and then come back. I think they went away to have a discussion about what they were going to do. Essentially, they're having the same security problem mm-hmm. that Weber's going to have later with Louise. I see. Do we want to teach her this? And they're like, of course we do. We already did, remember? Yeah. <laughs> they have to be talked into it. Because then Costello comes back first. So clearly, the one on the left is the like more in charge, more official, serious one. That's kind of funny how even though they know... They still have to be talked into it. Uh-huh. It's pretty human in a way. It's like we're still terrified of things, even if we know that when we tried them before they worked out or it's okay. There's always like that new fear that yeah. maybe that person will reject us that other time. Maybe they like, visited so many the different alien to. races on so many planets. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they forget which is which. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> They're like, wait, is this the one that shoots us? I don't remember. We're all going to die. Louise flinches at the noise. And takes a step back, and we get an angle from behind everyone as everyone takes a step back, because this is a really loud sound the aliens make when they come back. And then Costello, in quotes, puts one arm up, seven fingers spread out, and he squirts out ink. In the script, he uses a console for this. I like that it's more mm. organic in the film. Yeah. Because it makes it more alien, that they can control this ink they put out of themselves. And he releases the ink, and it separates into four bits and forms into a circular symbol, which, if you look up the official logograms available from the film, this is, yes, their symbol for human. So mm-hmm. they are they are repeating what she said. 
And we get a nice musical cue. This is the track Ultimatum from the soundtrack by Johan Johansson. And then we get some radio chatter. Condor says affirmative alpha. We get a shot of Marks. He looks kind of shocked. Louise says, oh my God. Weber says, are you getting this? And we get a shot from behind as it pans over to that they are recording this logogram and getting it on a computer as the tech at the computer, we, I don't think we know his name, says, yes, sir, it's uploading back to base camp. They're recording everything that goes on the screen and that's going to be handy later. And Ian says, Louise, that's incredible. And then it gets even more cool from my perspective because mm-hmm. then... That logogram starts dissolving, so it's not yeah. even a solid thing. It's still just some sort of liquid or gas or whatever that they can control. Because it dissipates, but not completely, because when they do the next one, it's that same ink that forms into it. So it's like their language is written and spoken at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like spoken in the way that it goes into the air and then dissipates, yeah. but also written because it's visual. It's uh-huh. like visual spoken language. It's cool. And their visual language changes, which is interesting. And Louise says human again. Uh, she taps herself, says human. She points at Ian. He taps himself mm-hmm. as she says human one more time. And then we get a shot of Costello's hand as the ink reforms. And we get a wider shot. I don't know what this symbol says, but the right half of it mm-hmm. is the symbol for Abbott. Oh, that's funny. So what I think is Costello yeah. is saying something about Abbott. So they are sharing their names. Well, oh. it's not that they're calling themselves Abbott, but mm-hmm. in the official logogram, it's the designation for that alien. Yeah. That is called Abbott. And that's, and it's very clear that the right half of the symbol is the Abbott name. The left half is very complicated and might include mixes of their word for has, their word for time, and possibly even their name for Louise. Hmm. So you might be saying, Abbott doesn't have time for you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Abbott's bored. He's not ready. Or I mixed up the aliens. I don't know. And then in terms just of the production of it again, it's also cool that they're creating the entire word or sentence or whatever it is that they're sharing simultaneously with. <laughs> Which we don't, they don't discuss in the film. That's one, th- yeah. one thing I th- wish the film had more of is mm-hmm. the discussion of how they do that. Right. Because they essentially put out a symbol knowing exactly what their entire sentence and thought is going to be first. Exactly. They're not writing or expressing thought linearly the way we would. I mean, we write left to right. Of course, some languages write left, right to left, and some go from top to bottom. But mm-hmm. there's always, obviously, a linear pattern. Or and he's also, structure. they're not writing backward for the glass either. They, it can be read from either direction. So the symbols are read yeah. three-dimensionally mm-hmm. in a circle. So they put out complete thoughts. That would help communication a lot because how many times does somebody start a thought or start a phrase and the other person already has some idea like, oh God, it's going to be that again. This is where I was, this is part of this and next segment is why I wanted to watch the Star Trek Next Generation episode, Darmok, Mm. to talk about because that is sort of that same idea is they talk in a metaphor. So they have to know what is the message I want to put out? How can I put it out the easiest way? And so you don't say, oh, here's this gift I got for you and I'd like you to have it. He yeah. just says, Temba, his arm's wide. Yeah. And you're supposed to know that means he, this is for me. Right. He's given it to me. And it reminds me of this story. And these aliens are kind of like that. They form their thought before they put it out there. I'm like, we might do that some of the time. Wait, thinking before they speak. <laughs> right? 
Even when we do that, that, the process of our speaking and writing things down and taking from beginning of sentence mm-hmm. to end can fuck that up along the way. Well, it, it does. It fucks it up a lot. It's like with the listening exercise, which I talked about before, just the idea of having to organize the thought in your head write it or say it, the other person then has to listen or read effectively and then translate to their own head. So it's very easy to see why miscommunication occurs. And this would cut out a lot of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> those steps. And we wouldn't be as soon as someone opens their mouth, just assuming we know the rest of what they're going to say or making incorrect assumptions about a person or relying on previous interpretation. I, I don't know. It's... <laughs> It's a cool concept. Yeah, ours gets more complicated as we go. I feel Mm -hmm. like theirs gets easier Yeah, as you go. Because it's more focused on the meaning rather than the mechanics. And Mm -hmm. that's semiotics. And for today, it's that the meaning, yeah. (laughs) We get a wider shot of Abbott and Costello. And now Abbott, or the one on the left, writes with three streams come out. And it doesn't quite clarify into symbol before we cut away to Louise. And she's like, okay, okay, slow down now, slow down. So she wants, I think she wants to learn this as she sees it, not Mm -hmm. realizing the military guys are recording it for her anyway. And then we get a shot from behind Louise, and this one bugs me because I started obsessing about the symbols, and I had my picture up Mm -hmm. of the 36 of them we have from the film. And as the two symbols form into one, she's blocking it. (laughs) She's standing in the middle of the screen. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what's going on? What are they saying? And we get a shot of Louise from the side as she smiles and laughs, like, this is working. And she turns to Ian. We can see the logogram now, but it isn't one of the 36 known ones, so I have no idea what they're saying. Ian smiles, we get a shot of Weber, and then we cut to the exterior of the tent. So again, we only see the first couple minutes of their exchange. When they got an hour in here. They almost should have said, we get five minutes at a time with the aliens. (laughs) Go. (laughs) It takes months to get anything done. And then we cut inside the tent. Louise enters last. Weber approaches her and says, I don't want to take away from your success in there, but Dr. Banks, is this really the right approach? Trying to teach them how to speak and read, that's got to take longer. And she tells him, you're wrong, it's faster, and she walks away. I love how he just assumes that he knows how to do her job better than she does. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think you brought her in. She's the language expert. She punctuates it by walking away. She made her point. And in the script, Weber does explain better why this could be risky. He says, they may be sitting on a mountain of data written in English. Hell, they may have hacked into all our websites. All they need is to learn how to read them. I would point out that an alien race that has traveled across space Mm -hmm. in a ship like this and has hacked our systems Mm -hmm. could already translate all those words. Yeah. That's basic word puzzle stuff. Yeah, (laughs) They'd be fine. They'd be ahead of her in reading. According to some language experts and language professors' work that I was reading yesterday, grammar isn't the best way to actually teach a language, and multiple approaches are more effective. Hmm. And a lot of teachers are moving away from the traditional, like, grammar-based approach and are using things less like grammar textbooks and more like social media and huh. reading like tweets in other languages. And it's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But of course, Louise is going to have a better idea of that than Weber is. Do we cut to now the other end of the same tent because they're out of their suits? As Weber says, everything you do in there, I have to explain to a room full of men whose first and last question is, how can this be used against us? So you're going to have to give me more than that. Captain Louise, and Ian is on the bench behind her. Louise says kangaroo. 
Yeah. Quickly, I'd just like to mention that this idea of working against a bureaucracy mm-hmm. is a pretty common like movie yeah. theme. I think. <laughs> like you have we, to. We work. need something She's else like, in the yeah. way. Yeah. Something they can't control because. She can do better at talking to the aliens, but she still has to deal with a so bunch of common things that get in the way are like military, government, yep. CEO, whoever, whoever has power that's like trying to stop you from I, doing. What I you don't know do. the current policy with NASA, but I know in the '90s, I remember looking this up when the X Files was big, mm-hmm. that it was technically illegal for the average citizen to communicate with aliens. Huh? Like if an alien came, yeah. you were required by law to call the government. You couldn't just hang out and talk to them. That honestly makes sense, <laughs> considering how a lot of people communicate. And he, he responds to Kangaroo, he says, what is that? Which is a funny question, because it's, it's an animal that lives in Australia. Yeah, I think it's more like, why are you saying Yeah, why are you saying Kangaroo? Yeah. Then Louise, I'll get into this more next time, because she gets to the details. But Louise begins her story about Kangaroo, saying, In 1770, Captain James Cook's ship ran aground off the coast of Australia, and he led a party into the country. We cut to the previous angle. She's talking, and Marx is exiting, and Ian is paying attention. But she doesn't finish the story until next time. So I'll get into why she's A, lying, but B, doing it on purpose next time. Which is fun, given the whole Sanskrit thing before. Ooh, she likes to use wrong things to And make that'll be points. a fun thing to talk about. Lying as a form of communication, mm-hmm. and the purpose is yeah. And this is straight out of the original story, too. That she tells yeah. this kangaroo story to her students, mm-hmm. even though it's wrong. Because it makes a point. So, we'll get back to the kangaroo conversation next time. In the meantime, I guess since I mentioned it, you can go listen to The Room Minute and hear actual lines from The Room and random bits of dialogue from The Room as people try to talk to that alien, Tommy Wiseau. You can find that on social media or any of your podcatchers. And you can listen to Life as a Playlist, my music show that has me telling some childhood stories and discussing political social events. If there are some worth discussing at that time, you can follow that show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5 Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. I used to think this was the beginning of your story.